All right, good afternoon. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, thank you for inviting me to come back to speak for the next three weeks. Uh, I, I got the email this week saying that I could dress casually. Last time I came in a suit, so I'm very thankful. Uh, at the last church I was at, it's a Korean church, and sometimes you just don't know, you know? You gotta wear a suit and I don't know. But I'm so thankful you guys worship off campus, you know, from the mother church. <laughs> You know, I was told today, I, you know, I'm still a little bit too formal, so I'm, I was very thankful to hear that comment because I just love wearing, like, T-shirt and thongs to church, especially if it's a hot day or a cool day. It makes no difference. So I just love casual. Uh, I actually had to find a collared shirt this morning. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that's what this is. Anyway, thank you for uh, inviting me back. It was such a pleasure to preach last time, and I'm so glad I can be back and share God's word with you. Uh, it's a very difficult thing when they ask a pastor to come back to only preach for three weeks. A lot of times pastors have like two-week series, three-week series, four-week series prepared. I'm not one of those guys. And so I found it very difficult. What am I going to preach on for the next three weeks? And so I decided that, you know, why not start from the beginning? Why not start where Jesus started? And so he started with the Sermon on the Mount. And I figured, you know, it's not a bad place to start. So why don't we just start there? Um, so, you know, the thing is, the Sermon on the Mount is a, is a, is a sermon that I have this love-hate relationship with. I love it because it's so clear what Jesus is saying that a Christian really is, the things that he really values, the things that he wants to see in his people. And I love that it's absolutely black and white clear. But what I hate about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's so black and white clear that it shows you black and white whether you're one of those guys or not. And whenever I hear sermons on it or I prepare for sermons on it, it's always a traumatic week because you realize you come so short, but you got to preach it on Sunday. And it's a very difficult thing. And I, but I think that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Because I love, I love what Jesus says and how he preaches because he wants to make it crystal clear for us. He doesn't want faith in Christ and living this Christian life to be a mystery. And so he... he you know, spells it out for us black and white exactly what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so, you know, you might for the next three weeks have a difficult time. I might, ha I definitely will have a difficult time preaching this, but it's a journey that I'm glad we can share together. And I hope it really serves to challenge us and transform our lives to really be men and women of faith. So uh, let's begin. The word of God today is Matthew 5, verse 3. We're going to start at the beginning. And we call the beginning few statements the Beatitudes. And for the next three weeks, I'll go through the first three Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse uh, Matthew 5, 3, the Word of God reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much just for the things that you're doing in this church. We thank you even for these songs that we just sang because we get reminded that even when we don't see it or feel it, that you are constantly working in our lives. And we praise you. We worship you. All this is for you. And even though we're surrounded by, you know, scary things like the virus, Lord, we know that you are our father and that you love us and you care for us. And you're obsessed, God, with just making sure not only that you receive greater glory, but God, that you encourage us and comfort us so that you can through our lives. And we, Lord, we thank you for all that. And we thank you especially for this church. Help us to be men and women that truly want to walk in the ways that you always desired for us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I've been a pastor for over 20 years now. I've been a Christian for over 30 years now. And I've done a lot of church within my life. Good church, bad church. I've done a lot of church in my life. 
And the thing is, you know, I, I, I hate generalizing, but sometimes just to make sermons easier to understand, I generalize. And today, I'm going to do that. You know, over the, over the years, I, I've seen a lot of church, a lot of Christians, and if I can just kind of generically categorize the Christians that I've seen over the years, there's like these people who put their faith in Christ and who put their faith in the gospel, but then all of a sudden, after putting their faith in Christ, their lives take a radical turn, and they start living for Jesus, and they actually... You can tell something's changed within these people, and not just for one year or two years or three years, but they start living for Jesus, and it's awesome and it's beautiful to see. Well, on the other hand, there are people who make the exact same confession, who literally put their faith in the same Christ in the gospel, but some you kind of wouldn't know it because they go on to live the exact same life that they did beforehand. And so, you know, I like preaching, uh, what I like about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's black and white. And what we learn from Christ's mouth is exactly what he says a Christian should look like, what he expects us to be and how we are to live. And I like that. And the thing is, what I lo really love about is, what I, what I love about the sermon is that it's very, very personal. And it's not personal in the sense that uh, you, it gives you all these facts so that you can point to other people in your church and say, hey, you're no, you don't look like that, or you don't look like that. But the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is so for you to look at yourself and to realize if you really are one of those true followers of Christ. And as well as it gives you, you know, it, it also shares this, these truths with you so that you can uh, not only realize whether you're a true follower or not, but whether you are truly on the path to living for him and his glory and for his pleasure, pleasure or not. And so I think it's not only a very clear uh, sermon, but it's also a very helpful sermon, and I think that kind of black and white clarity is needed within the church today. I think the church a lot of times is filled with a lot of mediocrity that's accepted. It's filled with a lot of like, just like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and it's okay is like the motto of church. You know, it doesn't matter how you live, it's okay as long as you come to church, or it's okay because as long as, yeah, it's okay, but you know, it kind of isn't sometimes because Christ says, no, I think there are certain things I really want to see in my believers, and I hope that this next three weeks is an encouraging time. And it's, an, it's a time where you feel lifted up because you just know, because it, it affirms that the spirit is in you, that you really are following Christ. And if, if you don't feel that way, it's a good thing too because hopefully it's a time that you can actually really be challenged. It might be one of those, you know, stock take moments, faith stock take moments, and you can actually make some changes you know, from this day forward. All right, so here we go. Blessed, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, back in the 1950s in the United States, there was a very famous gangster named Mickey Cohen. Do you, you know this guy? Did you watch that movie, Gangster Squad? Anyone watch that movie, Gangster Squad? I watched that movie. It's an old movie. Anyway, a lot of famous people in that movie. Um, Mickey Cohen was a very famous gangster in the 1950s. And the Christians really loved this guy because one day they heard that he was actually considering becoming a Christian. And the Christians all got excited in the United States. So they decided with a lot of courage to visit him and to talk to him about Christ. And to their total surprise, he prays the sinner's prayer, right? So everyone's excited. All, of, all, all Christians, churches are so excited in the United States. But a few weeks later, a few months later, they realize, hey, this Mickey Cohen guy, nothing's changed. He's still gangstering, you know, like he's been doing, stealing, killing, all that kind of stuff. Nothing's changed, even though he said he became a Christian. So uh, once again, very courageously, they decided to visit him, and they're like, hey, what's up? You know, you said you believe in Jesus, but you're kind of doing the same things. You can't do that stuff anymore. And then he said, and what he said really surprised them. He said, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me get this straight. Let me ask you a question. 
So he asked all these Christian leaders, are there Christian football players? And they're like, yeah, there are. You know, are there Christian cowboys? Yes, there are, you know. Are there Christian politicians? Yes, there are. You know, and they just do what they do, but they do it for Christ. Yes. Oh, why can't there be Christian gangsters? Why can't we kill and steal, you know, for Christ? And it became obvious to all these Christians that even though he may have said the sinner's prayer, it was obvious that he never really encountered Christ, right? Mickey Cohen had never truly, truly uh, had met Jesus. And so, therefore, he concluded it was okay to continue living the sinful life that he was living. And so that kind of brings us back to, you know, the original question. And that's it. Why do some people encounter Christ? Why do some people confess their faith in Jesus and all of a sudden their life completely changes to live for God? Well, there's all the people in the church that make the exact same confession, but their lives kind of look exactly the same before, after looks exactly the same. And I think the first beatitude that we encounter in Matthew 5, 3 really clarifies that question for us. It reveals to us that answer. And the thing is, this verse is first because it really is the foundational attitude that we need to have in order for us to be saved. But it is also the foundational attitude that we need to continue to have if we want to grow in Christ and know him more and learn how to live a life that pleases him. Okay, so it's really, it's really essential. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what exactly does this verse mean? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take apart every single word and, and then we're going to, as though we understand every single word of this, of this verse, then it's going to come, become clear to us exactly what Jesus is saying to us. Okay? So how many of you have heard a sermon on this verse before? Raise your hand out of curiosity. Many of us, many, you know, many maybe have, maybe haven't. When I first went to church when I was young, uh, this was actually one of the first sermons I ever heard. It was on this verse. And my pastor actually translated uh, the first verse of this word, uh, the first word of this verse is happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Anyone ever hear this? Happy are the, I don't know, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Anyway, it's, it's something that I've realized is very common to preach in this way. But what I think is it's a very terrible translation. To be happy, it really is a subjective state, isn't it? To be happy is a feeling. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I don't think Jesus is talking about how we are supposed to feel. That's not the goal. You know, being blessed, what being blessed means, blessed, the word blessed has nothing to do with our happiness. It actually is a, a judgment that God has upon us, right? When God happily approves us with his joy, that's what it means to be blessed. And so what he's saying is God approves people who, have poor, who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you guys understand that? You know, And so right off the bat, I think we encounter a little bit of a challenge. You know, I think some Christians have translated these beatitudes in a way that, see, that makes it seem as if happiness is God's ultimate goal. Happiness in our lives is God's ultimate goal for us. And maybe you've heard stuff like that in church, but it really isn't true. You'll, I don't know if you'll ever find the word happiness in Scripture. You should search it, right? But yet we think that our happiness is God's greatest goal, but it isn't. You know, and so, you know, we, we encounter this little challenge as we begin this series because Christ is saying that his ultimate goal, God's ultimate goal is not our happiness, but it really is God's approval. It really is God's happiness over our lives. That's what he cares about the most, and that should be the most important thing for us. So we encounter this little challenge right as we begin, you know, unless God's approval over your life 
is something that you value really highly in your life, then if you don't value that, then scripture and these verses and these sermons will simply be a set of statements that you might just respectfully, you know, gloss over. And maybe that's how it is sometimes at church. And that's why it is sometimes like that at church. Because maybe we're not hungry for God's approval over our lives. Maybe we ultimately really don't want God, you know, more than anything else. And so that's a challenge I think we have as we begin this teaching. Because what's sad about that, if that's true, is not only will you miss out on the most foundational and fundamental teachings that God wants to share with us, but you'll miss out on God. You'll miss out on things that he wants to say to you personally and deeply. And that's a crime. You know, we're wasting it would be a waste to come to church for like two, three hours if that what is what you're about, you know. So let's not do that. So as we, as we begin, you know, the question you need to ask yourself is, what do you want the most in your life? Is it your happiness or is it God's approval over your life? I don't know about you, but this week I was freaking out a little bit about the coronavirus. Anyone freak out? I, I, I literally freaked out. Okay. My wife will tell you, you know, I was consumed. I said, oh, we got to, you know, we got to like, you know, I, we, I was talking, I was talking crazy, you know, you know, any, any, everyone here had toilet paper, right? <laughs> I, we, we, we hit Amazon so quick, we ordered some toilet paper because I, I didn't want to, you know, be in line. Someone got bashed at Chalora Woolies, right? Oh, gosh. That, uh, anyway, scary. Anyway, someone got bashed near our, our, our place too. Anyway. I was freaking out a little bit about this coronavirus, and so all I could talk about for like two, three days was, okay, this is how we're going to keep our family safe. This is how we're going to save. This is how we're going to prevent ourselves from getting the virus. We're going to buy like 10,000 masks. We're going to, you know, do all this stuff. We're going to do everything. You know, we're basically going to make our house a bunker, you know, just in case. Who cares about nuclear war? The virus is worse, you know? Uh, I was freaking out. But then I was praying uh, Friday morning, I think it was, and I just felt utterly rebuked because I realized I was so consumed with myself. I was so consumed with my family. There's nothing wrong with trying to protect your family. But I was so consumed that I never had, I never even considered asking, God, what do you think about this virus thing that's going on? As a Christian, in the midst of this kind of fear and panic, you know, what's my role? What do you want me to do? I never asked that question. You know, I'm afraid. And... But yet, I never asked what God wanted me to do. Because for three or four days, it wasn't my priority. I didn't care. I literally lost sight of it. And sometimes that happens. And, you know, and I, I, I really had to challenge myself saying, yeah, you call yourself not only a Christian, but you're like a pastor. You know, but why is it that you don't care about what God might even want? You don't need, you're afraid to ask the question. I read an article this week about Christians, Christian missionaries, who are getting on trucks to go into Wuhan. I mean, that's psycho. But it isn't. Because for them, they were consumed with this vision that they wanted to bring the light of Christ into the, probably the darkest place. You know? So... I was reading that article, and I was convinced, wow, if there's anyone who knows what it means to be blessed, it's those guys. I'm not saying we all have to get on a plane. You can't even get on a plane to China. We shouldn't. Don't. But, you know, if you never ask yourself, what, what does God want of you during this time? I mean, can, maybe you can be a comfort to your neighbors. Maybe, them, maybe there's some old people who feel vulnerable. When you look at the statistics, all the old people that are dying, 
So a lot of young people think, okay, don't worry, that's not going to affect me. Yeah, it probably won't, but there might be a lot of old people near you that are really scared. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to love them and to care for them. Who knows? All I know is you got to ask yourself every single day, what do you care about the most in your life, your own happiness and protection or God's approval over your life? And sometimes God's approval means going into the darkest places and being living a difficult life, you know? And that's all I'm saying. What do you want most? And it's a question that you're going to have to ask for the rest of your life, even after you become a Christian. And so, you know, I don't know. Should we just take a moment for five seconds? I'm going to give you, I know it's weird, but five seconds. Can you we just close our eyes for a second? And can I just ask you to be honest with God? And maybe God's approval over your life, maybe God himself and his glory is not what you want the most. It's okay. Just be honest. But maybe you can honestly ask, God, change my heart so that that is what I can want today. Can we do that? I'll give you five, seven seconds, and then I'll just continue. All right, let's, uh, you can open up your eyes. Let's, uh, let's get on. So blessed, to be blessed means to have God's approval over, God's joyful approval over our lives. And now we know what that means. What, let's get to the rest of the words. What does poor in spirit mean? Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. When you hear that phrase poor in spirit, a lot of times you get this feeling that to be poor in spirit kind of means like you're like, uh, you know, you're not that confident. You're, you're like very shy. You know, I, I, I don't know why, I don't, I don't mean to say this, but I get the sense that, you know, oh, it must be a loser. <laughs> you know, this guy must be a loser. He's not very popular. He has a very low value of himself, and he's not very spiritual or very happy. This, you know, this poor in spirit, it doesn't sound very positive. But the thing is, that's not what it means at all. To be poor actually means to cringe or cower like a beggar. Okay, so it's describing a poverty that is so deep. You know, when you realize that you're so poor that you're actually fully dependent upon someone else to actually give you life. You cannot do anything upon your own. It's as if you woke up one day and realized, wow, I have no money in the bank. Wow, I just lost my job. I lost my house. I lost my family. I lost my clothes. And I am literally naked here out on the street with nothing. What else can you do? You have to beg people for a little bit of money to buy some clothes or to buy some food, whatever. And this, this is what it's talking about. Someone who's totally, who knows he's totally screwed. That's what this word poor means, okay? So uh, that's exactly what poverty means. It's the most extreme sense of poverty that can exist to the point where you cannot survive without someone's help. So blessed, if I can reword this, it's saying, blessed are those who totally know that they are so spiritually bankrupt, they are so spiritually screwed, that the, the Bible actually says you're spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead in our sins. We are so spiritually bankrupt that we cannot survive without anybody else's help. Someone else has to give us life in order for us to survive. And what that practically means is realizing that there's absolutely nothing good within us. There, and when I say good, it means there's nothing that resembles God within any of us. We are sinners through and through. Right? There's no, not even one iota of godliness or goodness within us. And that's why we are spiritually bankrupt or poor in spirit. 
Um, you know, some people in the world think that they can top up their spiritual currency by doing something good or coming to church enough times. Maybe I'll come to the extra prayer meeting. That'll get, you know, that'll get in good with God. Maybe he'll protect me from the virus if I come to another prayer meeting or something. Sometimes we think by doing those good things, we have that exchange with God, you know, that golden rule, whatever. And we think if we do those things, then I'm sure God will think of me better and I'll gain some God points or something like that. But it doesn't work like that. Uh, Jesus says in this verse, you've got to be poor in spirit, absolutely bankrupt, you know, which is basically admitting to God, coming to the point where you admit to God where you're just like, God, I really realize I have nothing good within me. There's nothing. And so that's who I am. I'm utterly sinful through and through. And that's what Jesus means when he says you've got to be poor in spirit. Is that cool? Do you guys understand that? So the question is this then. The question is, why would God have joyful approval over those types of people? Right? That's not a good place to be. That's not a good thing. But why would God's approval and joyful approval be over those types of people? And here's the answer. It's only when we come to realize how spiritually bankrupt we are. That's the only time when we can truly realize how much we need a Savior. That's the only time when we truly realize that we really need Jesus. That's when we realize that Jesus is the only one that can give us spiritual life. Okay, And when we come to realize our need for Christ, then what does this verse say? This verse says that only then does the door of the kingdom heaven open to us. So what it's saying is it's only when you realize your spiritual poverty and your utter need for Jesus, it is only when that happens that the door to the kingdom of heaven opens for us. Do you guys understand that? That's what this verse is saying. Any questions about that? Any objections to that? Anyway, so here we go. When we come to God realizing our spiritual bankruptcy and our need for Christ, what does this verse say the reward is? The re- it says the reward is the kingdom of heaven, eternal life. Now, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word theirs is emphatic. Emphatic kind of means exclusive, meaning to them alone, only to these guys. So it's only to those who truly understand their poverty of spirit and their need for Christ, only to those guys does the door of heaven open. And that's an amazing statement. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing statement in one sense because it's so black and white. Um, because what Jesus is saying is that nobody, no one gets saved unless you understand how poor you are in spirit. And unless you understand your true and only need for Christ alone, only people who realize that get saved, you know. And here's the scary part. And the scary thing is that there are no other ways to get into heaven except poverty of spirit, realizing your true need for Jesus, okay. And that's not scary for the non-Christians that are out there, really, but it's really scary for the Christians that are in the church, okay? And, uh, and this is the toughest part because uh, this statement, this verse flies in the face of Christians who think they can just simply believe in these set of facts that they might have learned in Sunday school about Jesus and then choose to live however they wish, you know? Oh, it's okay. As long as you just believe. I heard as long as you have faith. I trust it so I can do whatever I want and live however I want for Jesus and then think they're going to heaven, you know, that's kind of like Mickey Cohen, isn't it? As long as you agree to the set of facts, to the right set of facts, we think we're getting in. But no, because it says you got to be poor 
in spirit. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that unless you are poor in spirit, you can't get in. Unless you realize how spiritually bankrupt and screwed you are without Christ, you can't get in. Unless you truly want life from Christ alone, you can't get in. It's a rough teaching. Right? You know, I went to church for nine years. Uh, this is when I was in high school, uh, junior high and high school. I went to church for nine years uh, and told everybody that I was a Christian until the day I met Christ. Okay? Do you guys get that? And there's a difference. Um, I, when, I, when I said I met Christ, it was the day that I realized that, wow, I was a sinner. I didn't know that I was, I knew that I was a sinner, but I didn't really know that I was a sinner until I met Christ. And I realized that I needed forgiveness. I realized that I was evil through and through. I, I didn't realize that until the day I met Christ. But before, you know, but before that, I tell you what, I loved church and I loved coming to church. And the reason why I loved coming to church is because church was awesome. You know, all my closest friends were at church. You know, the hottest girls were at church. <laughs> my church, they were. I like coming to church. You know, eye candy. Anyway, uh, you know, I loved my pastor. My pastor was actually the nicest guy that I knew. He preached in English. This is back in the 90s and 80s. You know, he preached in English, and he loved me. And I loved hearing the messages. The messages actually moved me. I was a non-Christian, but the messages, I would, I would cry because I would hear about this father that loved me so much. And I grew up in a kind of an abusive Korean home. And so I, I was just totally overwhelmed by the love of God. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And so I loved church. I really did. And I loved coming to church. Um, but it wasn't until I met Christ that I realized that going to church and meeting Christ and following Christ were two totally radically different things. You know, this one makes you happy, but this one makes you blessed. And there's a big difference, you know. I remember the day I met Christ, I don't know what it was, but all I knew is that he was amazing, he was beautiful, he was like immense. And I wanted more of him. But at the exact same time, I literally, like, crawled under a table because I felt so ashamed of who I was. I felt so bad. But yet I felt compelled, compelled to continue to seek after him. And I knew there was something totally, totally different about God. And uh, it was the first time in my life that I came face to face with my spiritual poverty and my sinfulness before this awesome God. And it was the first time that everything that I had ever heard in church made sense, you know, to my heart. I knew that God had always died for my sins, or Jesus died for my sins, and he died to pay the punishment for my sins. And, I, and if I believed in him, I knew that, you know, I'd be forgiven. But, I, but for some reason, at that moment when you meet Jesus and you're confronted with your sinfulness and his holiness, and you know you're forgiven, but... It's not really a choice to believe in a set of facts when you meet Jesus. What it really is is you realize that he's giving you this choice, whether you're going to continue to live the life that you want to live, the way that you wanted to live it, or whether you're going to literally push all in, kind of like a poker table when you push all in. I don't know if you guys play poker. I hope you're not stumbled that I made a poker reference. But, you know, I play poker. Anyway, I knew that at that moment he was asking for my life. And to me, that was crystal clear. It was this God that was so worthy. And he was asking, if I'm that worthy, will you give me all of yourself? And I knew that was what was on the table. That was the choice that needed to be made. You know, am I going to continue just going to church and pretending that I'm a Christian and just to be happy? Or am I going to live my life surrendered to Christ to do whatever he wanted me to do in order to live a life that's blessed? I chose that day the blessed path. 
And ever since that day, it's been a very extremely difficult but extremely rewarding, you know, life. Right? You know? But that's it. But it all begins with being poor in spirit. It all begins with being poor in spirit. For those, for those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, you know. You can only get saved by realizing your need for Christ, for, for Christ. And quite honestly, for those who are saved, I think the health and the vibrancy of your spiritual walk with Christ can only continue as you are continually poor in spirit. You know, the moment that we step out of being poor in spirit, even though we're Christians, that's when we become the center of our lives and not God. And that's where we mess up the most as Christians. That's where I messed up this week with that coronavirus action. You know, that's what happens. But being, so being poor in spirit really is everything. And that is why it's the first and most fundamental beatitude that we need to understand. Do you guys understand this? Is this cool? It's pretty obvious that Mickey Cohen didn't meet Jesus. You know, he didn't have this poverty of spirit. So he, that's why he continued to live the life that he chose to live. The sad part, however, is that Mickey Cohen's story is not very unique, is it? You know, we see a lot of that stuff happening in the church. A lot of people who say and profess they believe in Jesus, but still go on to live the exact same lives that they choose to live. And if that's the case, then I think it's going to be one shocker of a day when we all get to heaven and we're in front of those pearly gates and there's going to be a lot of people that might be turned away, you know. And it's not because they didn't believe in the right set of facts, but maybe it's because they didn't truly realize their need for Christ. You guys understand that? Today, I think the whole purpose of this sermon is to realize or to take an honest look at ourselves. You know, if you believe you're going to heaven, just ask yourself, why am I going? You know, is it because I truly realize that I'm a sinner and I just need Christ for everything in this life, that I just want him? Or, you know, have you, have you ever really been poor in spirit before God? You know, are you really convinced that you truly need Christ for everything? And if you're already saved, you know, do you continue to be poor in spirit every single day? Or are you the center of your life? You know, all of us here, we're sinners, and because we are, there's nothing good within us. We all need Jesus. We all need, need his forgiveness. We need his righteousness, his perfect sinlessness, his goodness. We need his spirit. We need him. But God knew that, and that's the reason why God sent his son Jesus on the cross. And I know you've heard it 10,000 times in the church, but I'm going to say it again because maybe it might mean something today, a little bit different. God knew how much we needed him. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to die upon the cross. And when Christ died upon the cross, he died to forgive us of all of our sins. Everyone heard that before. But that's only half the story. See, when Christ died upon the cross, he forgave us of all of our sins. But the thing is, the moment you put your faith in Christ, what happens is not only does, his, does he take his sinfulness away from us and put it upon himself, but now what he does is he takes his righteousness or perfect sinlessness and he places that upon us. And that's why it's so important to put our faith in Christ. We call this the great exchange. Christ exchanged his sinfulness, our sinfulness put it on himself, and he put his perfect righteousness, his perfect sinlessness, and put it upon us. So from that day forward, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, death, in Christ's death and resurrection, God, the Father, can only look to, to us through the blood of Christ. So he can only see us now as perfectly sinless children of God. 
And that is why this verse says from that point on, God, God's approval can only be upon us for eternity. Because from that point on that we put our faith in Christ, that is when God can only see us through the blood of Christ. And that's when he only sees perfectly sinless children of God. And when he sees perfectly sinless children of God, that's when his joy and his approval will be over us for eternity. Do you see? But it all starts with poverty of spirit. So that's what it means. And that's what this verse is saying. And for those who encounter him in that way, you know, there's really no other way to live than for his glory and his pleasure and his happiness alone. And, you know, for those who want to do that, for those who want to learn how to live for God's approval, that's exactly what the rest of Scripture is all about. You know, do you guys get that? Do you guys understand that? That's our message today. Today, to say it simply, it's a message, you know, challenge you to ask yourself if you're truly saved or not. Not by the things that you might want to be saved by, but by Christ's standards, you know. I hope today's sermon, and I hope after today, after listening to today's sermon, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's me. I love it. Thank you so much, God. I hope today's sermon is very affirming. But for those who, you know, it may not be as affirming, please come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. You can SMS. We could talk during the week. Talk to your spiritual leaders or anybody that you trust about your faith because this is so important, you know. Uh, but this is foundational. I mean, this really is foundational. Next, the next two weeks we'll be talking about other foundational things as well, but this is like the foundation, okay. So... Um, let's pray. You can pray for whatever you wish to pray for. If you, if there was something that really hit you, pray for it. But if you, have, if you don't know what to pray about, maybe a simple question can be, you know, are you happy simply coming to church? Is your happiness really your goal in life? Or do you want to live blessed? Do you really want to live with God's approval over your life? And if you want to, just come and ask him and talk to him. Be very honest with him and ask him to help you to live that life, to help you understand your true poverty in your spirit, you know, so that you can come and truly realize genuinely your need for Christ and to live for him. Why don't we just spend a minute or two praying, and then I'll close for us. Let's pray.
know, I rarely do this, but I don't know, my heart just is moved. I just feel like that God spoke to a few people today. And I just, you know, if that's you, can I just tell you how much God loves you? God really loves you. He just loves you. He doesn't love you because of what you did yesterday or what you didn't do yesterday. He loves you because you're you. And he knew who you are. He knows exactly what you're all about. And he knows the things that you're feeling even right now about yourself. And that's why he sent his son for you. To forgive you, to love you and embrace you. To take away all that shame and sinfulness from your life. And to replace it with his joy, with his forgiveness and righteousness. And so that you can always be from this day forward and this moment forward a celebrated child of God. If that's you, well, can I invite you to put your faith in Christ? Can I invite you to surrender your life to Jesus? Can I invite you to, from this day forward, to want to live with his approval of your life rather than anything else? It is the answer. It is the way. It is the path that you've been searching so will you do that right now? I'm going to give you 30 seconds, a minute. Continue to pray. Trust in him. Let's do that together. Let's pray. a decision for Christ today, can you tell one of your spiritual leaders today or SMS them this week or something like that? Please tell somebody so they can help you on this walk with Christ. But it's an awesome, awesome, awesome day. Okay, and we celebrate that. God, we thank you so much for the things that you're doing within the lives of the people here. And God, we just want to celebrate that your spirit is still alive and working within all of our hearts, all of our lives, even if we don't see it, even if we don't feel it. But Father, we, I love church because it reminds us how good you are. It reminds us how beautiful you are. And it reminds us how much we are loved and celebrated by you. Lord, I pray, God, for every single person in this room that they would desire to live a life that's approved by you. We all, the, the default mode of humans is to live to try to be happy ourselves. And Father, we know it gets us somewhere. But it doesn't really get us where we, where we were created for. And that was to love you, to honor you, to worship you, and to have you as our greatest joy. And Lord, we pray you'll continue to do that within our hearts for us to realize that you are so worthy of everything that we have and teach us and pull us and, and, and do whatever it takes to make us into a people that would want to live completely that way for you. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray.